Our New Testament readings for this morning are taken from Paul's letter to the Romans in the Gospel of Matthew. Hear now the word of the Lord. Romans 5, 12 through 19. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if, by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in the condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made, were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it's written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God, and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. The word of the Lord. Let me unmute myself. Sorry about that. Uh, good morning, church family. Uh, I had reached out to a family with some preteens who were going to do that New Testament reading, but the mom and one of the children got sick. So I reached out to Chip and Joy, and I was like, let's have some grandparents participate in, in reading Scripture. And Joy responded with a text that said, we can do that, but I sound real country. So, which I thought was awesome, and we appreciated that real country sound this morning, Joy. Yeah. So, yes, there you go. I know you wanted to clap. Let's just do it. Um, 
Way back in September last fall, we started a tradition on Family Sundays where we played a big giant trivia game of Kahoot together using our cell phones. The first time we played, the theme of the game was Guess That Pandemic Year, where I listed a bunch of world events that happened during the pandemic and you had to guess which year. We played it again in October during the state fair and we used a state fair theme. And then we took a three month hiatus, but we are bringing it back today. If you were here early enough to participate in the hospitality before worship, uh, you enjoyed some uh, the cereal bar provided by our youth. Uh, here's a cereal-related question for you. What well-known breakfast cereal is nicknamed the breakfast of champions? Wheaties, yes. We all may know that Wheaties is the breakfast of champions, but today in our Kahoot quiz, we are going to find out who the champion of breakfast is. All 10 of today's quiz questions are about breakfast cereals. So if you have never played Kahoot before, the first step is get your cell phone out, okay? And here's how to play. I'm gonna walk you through the process. Take out your cell phones, open up a web browser, go to Kahoot.it, K-A-H-O-O-T dot I-T. And during the login process, you are going to see these three screens. The first screen prompts you to enter in the game pin, which you will see in just a moment. And the second screen will prompt you to enter a nickname, assuming things have not changed since the last time we played this. And the third is a confirmation screen that you are ready to play. So, Brent, Let's go ahead and reveal the game pin by clicking on, yes, so the game pin is 2350816, 2350816. Once you've entered the game pin and created a nickname for yourself, and by the way, be sure to keep your nickname safe for church because it will appear on the screen here, okay? Be sure to make it unique as well. Don't just use your first name because there may be other people who share your first name. And once you've done that, the third screen will pop up showing you your nickname at the bottom, as just mentioned. You'll see your nickname up here. You can play individually. You can play as a couple. You can play as a parent-child team. Remember, there are no ties in this game. If two people get the right answer, the fastest response scores the most points. And by the way, there are prizes. So are we ready? Are we ready? No, we're not. So there's still more people coming in? Who is Dung Defender? Uh, well, we'll find out later if they win, okay? So, all right, you've got five more seconds to log in. Four, three, two, one. Let's get the game started. All right, here we go. So first question will be coming up in just a minute here. And remember, be efficient with your answering. Question number one, what is the best-selling cereal of all time? A, Cheerios, B, Frosted Flakes, C, Corn Flakes, or D, Fruit Loops? Okay, get your answers in. You've got 10 seconds left. Of course, if all your answers get in ahead of time, I think it'll automatically advance. But here we go. Let's see how we did here. Okay, yes, a vast majority of you got that correct. That's fantastic. Let's hit the next button. We'll see who's atop our, our leaderboard. Shorty, followed by Kanarni Patria, Patriarch, I'm assuming. That's interesting. interesting. All right, um, let's move on to question number two. Which cereal features the slogan, they are magically delicious? 
A, Fruit Loops, B, Lucky Charms, C, Tricks, D, Captain Crunch. Okay? So get your answers in. You got about five seconds left. Looks like all, I think there's 66 participants, so if we ever see 66, we can just skip ahead. Oh, 67. Okay, yes, the vast majority of you got it right. I feel bad for the one person who guessed tricks. Okay, all right, and all right. Moving, moving on, question number three. So which cereal features a cartoon tiger as its mascot, okay? A, Corn Pops, B, Honeycomb, C, Crispix, or D, Frosted Flakes? Okay, come on. All right, wow, that was fast, okay, excellent. So, all right, awesome. Let's move on to the next question. Question number four. What type of animal is the mascot for Cocoa Puffs? A bird, a rabbit, a monkey, or an alligator? The mascot for Cocoa Puffs. Get those answers in. Okay, 67. All right. Wow, okay. Most of you got that wrong. Okay, not many Cocoa Puffs lovers in this room, which is probably good. Good for you, healthy eaters. <laughs> Moving on to question number five. What Flintstones characters are featured on the front of a box of Cocoa Pebbles? Fred and Barney, Fred and Wilma, Pebbles and Bam Bam, or Dino, Fred and Wilma's Dogosaurus pet? So remember, this is Cocoa Pebbles, not Fruity Pebbles. There is a distinction between those two cereals. Okay, here we go. How'd we do? Okay, yes, a lot of you got tricked up with Pebbles and Bam Bam who are featured on Fruity Pebbles. Okay, Shorty, oh, the Donovan family has uh, taken the lead. Let's move on to the next question. Yes, all right, all right. What is the name of the Honey Nut Cheerios B? Busby, Bumble, Crosby, or Beavis? Okay. Busby, Bumble, Crosby, or Beavis? Get your answers in. Answers in. One more person is a late bloomer here. Okay, here we go. Yes, Busby is correct. All right. Donovan family is still on top. Let's move on to the next question. Which is the oldest cereal still being produced and sold? All bran, cornflakes, grape nuts, or shredded wheat? The oldest cereal still being produced and sold. Get your answers in. All right, here we go. Shredded wheat is the correct response, which dates back to 1890. Grape Nuts is next, 1897, Corn Flakes, 1898, and All Bran, 1916. Okay, Peyton and Mom, all right, awesome. Let's move on to the next question. Uh, what cereal has a character named Toucan Sam as its mascot? Okay, here we go, Cocoa Puffs, Lucky Charms, Fruit Loops, or Fruity Pebbles? Cocoa Puffs, Lucky Charms, Fruit Loops, there we go, yes. The vast majority of you got that correct. Let's see what our leaderboard looks like. Still Peyton and mom on top. All right, let's move on. Question number nine, second to last question. Which cereal was created to promote regularity and once used the catchy tagline, improve your intestinal tone? Okay, Bran Flakes, Special K, All Bran or Raisin Bran? Which cereal was created to promote regularity? 
Improve your intestinal tone. Here we go. Let's see how we did here. Yes, the majority of you got that correct. It is indeed Albran. And our leaderboard still stays the same. Peyton and mom on top. Moving on to the final question. All right, here we go. One of these cereals is made by General Mills. Which one? I'll give you a hint. The rest are made by Kellogg's. One of these cereals is made by General Mills. Which one? Get your answers in. The most of you got it wrong. It is Lucky Charms that is made by General Mills. Let's take a look at our leaderboard. Okay, here's our podium. Third place is Kona P. Jones. I do not have a prize for third place. Sorry about that. Second place, Bathsheba. Wow, awesome. Okay. And first place, Peyton and Mom. So Peyton and Mom and Bathsheba, come on up to receive a prize. Yeah. So, who's Bathsheba? Is that you? All right. Luke, congratulations. And Peyton and Mom, come on up. Now, we do need to um, uh, figure out how to see the whole leaderboard. I think there is a way to do this. Um, where did, yeah, maybe hit next. Because I want to find out who the top youth were. So click on view full report. And then click players. Or, yeah, view report is fine. And no, we have not stopped sharing our screen. And uh, there's view players. The t second tab right beside summary is the players. So this is a full list. So actually, Peyton is a youth. Peyton, are you going bowling later today? Okay, Peyton, come on up. I am paying for your shoes and your lunch. Okay? And who's, this, who's the next youth on this? Nate? Well, then come on up. Yeah, you were part of it. So, and here's the thing. I didn't have a way of splitting a 20 to create uh, $15 for each of you, so I'm giving you $30 for the two of you to figure out how to share and buy your lunch, okay? Okay, okay. But it was the same. Here, you know what? Take an extra five. There you go. You're good. You're good. I was going to give them the same. I was going to make it equal, but uh... all right. All right, Brent, let's, um, let's go back to our our uh, sermon slides. By the way, we have an issue with our projector right now. It's creating these, vertic these uh, vertical lines, and we're going to hopefully resolve that by, by next week. Now, congratulations, all of you, for creative screen names and for playing the game. That was a lot of fun. Uh, now, because we've just spent 10 minutes on breakfast cereal trivia, including some helpful trivia, like um, which cereal improves your intestinal tone, I think we need a very quick review of our scripture readings. The first reading was the story of the serpent in the Garden of Eden in the creation story where Adam and Eve were told by God that they could eat the fruit of any tree in the garden except the one tree in the middle. The second reading was a psalm of David remembering a time when he had sinned. He had done something wrong and how miserable he felt until he was finally honest and admitted it. He writes, when I kept silent, 
My bones wasted away through my groaning all day. I suspect we can all relate to that feeling. The third reading was from a letter from the Apostle Paul to the people following Jesus in Rome, in the book of Romans, and it has some big language in it about how what Jesus did, his life and death and resurrection, it brings life to all of us, every one of us. Just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. And our final reading was the story of Jesus led by God's Spirit into the wilderness where he is tempted three times by the devil. And it's a story that has some of the same themes of temptation that were raised in the first story, the first reading about the serpent in the garden tempting Adam and Eve. And it's this gospel story in the wilderness and the first two temptations that Jesus faced that I want to focus on this morning. When I was a little older than Nathan, who read our, one of our Old Testament readings with his dad, I was quite the Bible nerd. I had a big, heavy, gray, leather-bound study Bible that my parents had engraved with my name on it, and they gave it to me the day I got baptized in 1988. And not every day, but a lot of days, I would take that Bible with me to high school because we had some Christian fellowship groups at school that would do Bible studies together. And this story of Jesus in the wilderness, tempted by the devil, was actually one of the reasons why I did this, why I took my Bible to high school and did Bible studies together and in this very, with this very conspicuous leather-bound Bible. Um, I'm confident that when Pastor Greg or Pastor Melanie, when they talk about this story of Jesus in the wilderness with the youth or they prepare lessons for kids' church, that they talk about this story in a bigger way than I knew it. But when I was a youth, this story was taught to me as a lesson on why I should memorize as much Scripture as possible. Why? Because look at what Jesus does in this story. How does Jesus resist the devil and fight him off. What does he do? Someone shout out the answer. He quotes Scripture at the devil. And what does the devil do? Well, he, yes, but eventually he runs away. He runs away. So my days in junior high and high school, they predated, you know, the Harry Potter books by a solid decade. And even though my youth leaders wouldn't have said it this way, Scripture became kind of this magic spell for warding off the devil and for resisting temptation. I'm not enough of a Potter nerd to know a spell that might have done something like this in the Potter world. Was there a spell that Harry Potter used to defeat Voldemort? Voldemort defeats himself. Voldemort defeats himself? Okay. Well, I was hoping that there'd be a spell that you can name, and then I would say, that's kind of how I thought of scriptures. What's that? That one. Whatever you all said is right. Yes. There we go. But. Of course, memorizing Scripture is never a bad thing. A couple of weeks ago, we read a part of the Sermon on the Mount for our gospel reading, and there are some verses in there that would be fantastic to commit to memory, like, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of God in heaven. That is a fantastic verse to commit to memory. 
It took me quite some time after high school to realize that this story of Jesus in the wilderness was way bigger than an encouragement to arm myself with Bible verse zingers to fire off at the devil and send him running. It's much bigger and far better than that. And let's look at the first temptation, which begins with one of Matthew's more obvious bits of historical journalism. It starts like this. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. Thank you, Matthew, for that hard-hitting piece of first-century journalism. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Years ago, I started but never finished the book The Brothers Karamazov by Fyodor Dostoevsky. And whenever I mention the fact that I started it and didn't, didn't finish it, someone inevitably comes up to me afterwards and says, you have to finish it. And yes, I know, and I will someday. But once upon a time, I made it deep enough into that book to read this conversation between two of the brothers, Alyosha and Ivan where Ivan tells Alyosha all about this poem that he has written or made up and memorized called The Grand Inquisitor. And in this conversation, Ivan retells the story of Jesus in the wilderness, and he says this. Recall the question, temptation. Its meaning, though not literally, was this. You, Jesus, want to go into the world, and you are going empty-handed with some promise of freedom. Do you see these stones in this bare, scorching desert? Turn them into bread, and mankind will run after you like sheep, grateful and obedient. The first temptation was, in essence, this. Make it easy. Or as Stanley Hauerwas describes it in his commentary on Matthew, this temptation was to protect the people from the demands of the gospel. Don't let them know that anything will be asked of them. There is a phrase that we used to repeat fairly often in the earlier days of Ecclesia, which says, what you win people with is what you win people to. If you win over a crowd with a love that requires nothing, you have won them to a love that requires nothing. And fortunately, Christ saw through this hollow temptation. It makes me think of a quote from C.S. Lewis in his book, The Screwtape Letters. If you haven't heard of The Screwtape Letters before, it's this fictional imagining of letters written from a senior demon, Screwtape, to his nephew and protege, this junior demon named Wormwood. And through the letters, Screwtape, the senior demon, is instructing Wormwood on how best to tempt and corrupt the young man that's been assigned to him, a man referred to as the patient who has recently converted to Christianity. But the initial excitement has kind of faded, and the reality of the journey and the work of faith is settling in. And here is Screwtape's advice to Wormwood. And remember, for Screwtape, when he talks about the enemy, he's talking about God. So here's the quote. The enemy... God has a curious fantasy of making all these disgusting little human vermin into what he calls his free lovers and servants. Children is the word he uses. Desiring their freedom, he therefore refuses to carry them by their mere affections and habits to any of the goals which he sets before them. He leaves them to do it on their own. 
and there lies our opportunity. But also remember, there lies our danger. If once they get through this initial dryness successfully, they become much less dependent on emotion and therefore much harder to tempt. I think that we do this with faith. We bill it as easy, perhaps not deliberately or intentionally, but even in our appeals to things like joining a small group or participating in Sunday morning practice, we use our happy voice and we say things like, we have two new small groups launching, one in East Raleigh Nightdale and one in South Raleigh Garner, and they're going to be great and you should come. And our enthusiasm, which is a genuine reflection of our desire for you to participate, it carries with it a subtle and unintentional message that it's going to be easy. And we do this because a happy voice sounds so much better than saying, join a small group. It's hard and it requires commitment and it's filled with failed broken human beings who will inevitably be a grave burden to you at some point. And some people will have a faith story very different from yours and will say some things that will stretch you or frustrate you or trigger old church trauma. And you'll have to be gracious toward people with convictions that don't align with yours. People who have hills that they would die on where you don't even have a hill. But stay and learn and listen. And when you push through, you will all grow. The bread from a small group isn't free, but it is good. It will cost you. That's my new sales pitch for small groups. <laughs> Sign up today. <laughs> Moving on to the second temptation. The devil takes Jesus to the highest point on the temple and tells him to fling himself down and be caught by a legion of angels. If the first temptation to turn stones into bread was a temptation to make it easy, this second temptation to jump from the highest point on the temple was to make it spectacular. And the same principle applies here. What you win people with is what you win people to. There are two stories in Scripture where Jesus does something quite miraculous to feed large crowds of people. Once a crowd of 5,000 men, not including women and children, and a second time a crowd of 4,000 men, not including women and children. And I should point out that in both of these stories, the miracle was not a ploy to draw a crowd. The crowds were already there. Jesus was meeting a need. But in both of these stories, Jesus, he takes this small amount of food that's available, he breaks it, he blesses it, and by some mystery and miracle, it becomes sufficient. But look at what happens immediately following both of these stories. Just a few verses after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus has gone to the other side of the lake with his disciples, but the crowds, they figured out where he was, they, they find him, and they ask, what sign then Will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? And exactly one verse after the feeding of the 4,000, we read this. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. Yep, what you win people with is what you win people to. Just for fun, what show are you addicted to these days on Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever your streaming service of choice happens to be? Just shout out a title. Yellowstone. Yellowstone. What? 
I heard some more. Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso. Give me some more. Okay, there, raise a hand. I need to hear one voice at a time. There we go. Last of Us. I haven't even heard of that. Okay, I'm out of touch with apparently. Yes. The parent test. Okay, okay. Um, the reason why I'm asking this, well, here, I'll, first I'll share what uh, Kim and I are, are watching, and it was actually the first show that was shouted out. I'm not sure I should admit that we're watching this, but we are watching Yellowstone on Paramount with Kevin Costner, and not all of it is redeeming. Um, but at the end of almost every episode, something like bananas happens, and we are hooked, and we cannot wait for the next episode to drop that following week. The unspoken law of entertainment is that the next episode of whatever it is that we're watching needs to be better than the last. It's, it's up and to the right. Our entertainment world has shaped us to expect this. Everything moves up and to the right in excitement and in craziness. And make no mistakes, this has shaped us. As CJ mentioned last week, everything is liturgical. Everything shapes us. And our entertainment up and to the right formula has shaped our expectations, including our expectations of church and of faith. And we become like the crowds following Jesus. We show up on Sunday looking for another entertainment miracle that we might believe for another week. When I was 35 or 36 in that age range, my friend Kevin Ruth gave me a book by Kester Bruin called The Complex Christ. And it was this book that first opened my eyes to seeing this story of Jesus' temptation as more than an argument to memorize Bible verse zingers to fire off at the devil. And about this second temptation, Kester Bruin writes this. Christ is then tempted to go to Jerusalem and climb to the highest point of the temple and from there to fling himself down and be caught by a squadron of angels, a huge publicity coup, a demonstration of enormous power. This would be a guaranteed way to stun the city into noticing him. But how to keep them? Jumping off the temple once would be great, but to top that and hold them, he would need to do more and more and more. Forget the spiritual stuff. Show us a trick. Do something amazing. Love will not be stunned into us, and we must resist the temptation to make church a spectacle. Love will not be stunned into us. There is another quote from C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters that I think seems to fit right here. Screwtape, he writes to his nephew, the junior demon, and he says this, teach them to estimate the value of each prayer by their success in producing the desired feeling. Or in other words, Teach them to judge prayer or worship or liturgies or small groups or any spiritual practice by how exciting or how transcendent it feels. Teach them to expect transcendence always. Why? Because it will lead to profound disappointment. And by the way, we could have a similar conversation on this about marriage. 
Is anyone here old enough to remember the 1990 movie Crazy People with Dudley Moore and Daryl Hannah? And show of hands, anybody remember? There's a few. It scored a 35% on Rotten Tomatoes, so I'm not surprised that few of you remember it. Um, it's the story of an advertising executive who has a nervous breakdown, but while in a mental health facility, he and some fellow patients, hence the title, develop an unconventional advertising campaign featuring something that really hadn't been tried before, just brute honesty. And they had ad campaigns like, buy Volvo, they're boxy, but they're good. Or look at the tagline below, be safe instead of sexy. Or another ad campaign, Porsche, unmistakably German, unmistakably expensive. I feel like this story of Jesus in the wilderness is kind of like this. Christianity, it's not easy or spectacular, but it's good. And in the spirit of honest church advertising, here are a few more. Try a small group, meet challenging people, guaranteed. <laughs> or fast something for Lent, it probably won't feel transcendent, and as a bonus, you'll want to quit within a week. <laughs> or not sure how to pray, try a liturgy, they're old and wordy. <laughs> or is church sometimes boring, they're probably doing it right. So how's that for a sermon conclusion slash application? But that's kind of what I want to say. Jesus resisted the temptation to make it easy and the temptation to make it spectacular because it isn't. And he changed the world. Following Jesus is many things, but it is neither easy nor spectacular. But it is good. Like capital G, good. And it will change you and your world. It will transform you into something more beautifully human like Jesus. And as a result, increasingly, day by day, we will bring more of the life of heaven, the kingdom of God, to bear upon our world. Let's pray, but we're going to do this differently. We're going to pray together out loud, and the words will be here on the screen. <clears throat> Let's actually stand together. All right, here we go. Jesus, following you is neither easy nor spectacular. Forgive us for the ways we've tried to make it so. Today, I let go of my need for faith to be easy. I welcome the truth that the bread is not free. Your love requires something of me, and that is for my healing and growth. Today, I let go of my need for faith to be entertaining and spectacular, and I welcome the everydayness of it. Your good earth has far more plains, valleys, and deserts than it has mountains. Perhaps my faith should be the same. I give myself to you. Have your way. Amen.